This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association of professionals in parking, transportation, and mobility. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Hello and welcome to The Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is The Parking Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. With us today is Tom Wonk, Vice President of T2 Systems. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm well, Isaiah. How are you? All right. I'm great, man. And so I I sit back. Um, I actually, you were specifically requested from, from one of our listeners. So you... You know you've reached it in the parking industry when, when, when people are emailing me, begging me to interview Tom Wong. I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, your resume, very impressive. You, you've been doing this a long time, blown away with, with all your accomplishments and, and different things you've been a part of over the years. Uh, you've been in the parking industry longer than I have been alive, and I mean that with every, uh, <laughs> <laughs> every sense of respect and admiration. But uh, just take us back to the beginning. A lot of people, uh, you know, you're well-known in this industry. How did it get started? So what was it, 45 years ago? Actually, in 1973, in the tail end of 1973, when I was finishing up my final year of high school, I worked part-time for a friend of mine. His dad company installed garage doors in New York, specifically Long Island. And those of you that are a little older, and perhaps from that neck of the woods, remember that Lilco, which is the Long Island lighting company, the local electrical company, was building a, a nuclear power plant out in Shoreham Wading River. My friend's dad bid on a job in which they needed to put parking gates. And no one knew what a parking gate was, but I was pretty much the electrical go-to guy with the company. So he brought me to the back of the building, and there were six boxes with federal APD G89 gates. Some of you older veterans will remember what they were. And he looked at me and he says, Tom, we need to get these installed. Good luck. So I loaded them on the back of the truck. I drove out to Shoreham Wading River. And after reading the instructions and renting a saw to cut vehicle loops, I did not know what a vehicle loop was at the time, but I followed the instructions and put them in. And lo and behold, we flipped the switch. So in 1973, I installed six G89 parking gates. And from there, that was the birth of my career in parking. That's the best parking story I've ever heard. That's you just to, just to have to go to a to go to a hardware store to get a saw to cut and install loops. That's uh, that and it all worked. That's that's even more amazing. So it was kind what, of interesting too, Isaiah. Is that you know, and and everybody remembers this when you're when you're seventeen, eighteen years old, you're invincible and you just don't know any better. So there's a little bit of courage that's created by the naivete that comes along with being seventeen and eighteen. I mean, do you happen to know the, the history of, of loops and gate arms? Was this around in the 60s, 50s? or when It you, was. When, in your opinion, when do you think it kind of became mainstream? It, it was. There was a lot of uh, parking equipment companies at the time. Uh, obviously, Federal was one of the bigger ones, but there were other brands out there that no longer exist. Uh, some of you probably will remember Cincinnati Time, PPI, APE. There were a number of companies that were really coming in their own probably the mid-early 60s, all the way through the 70s. Uh, But at that time, unlike what it is today, everything was more of electrical mechanical. So you had a lot of people that had knowledge about relays and simple circuits, those type of things. So that's really where uh, parking and revenue control was at the time. They were very simple circuits, you know, push a button, open up the gate. Uh, But there were a number of companies out there. 
And at that time, uh, remember, parking at that time was really only a cash business. And, and more and more uh, companies, specifically the operators, realized the potential revenue that could be gathered by providing a higher level of control, which at the time, we're talking about gates. And that's really when the, the birth of parking and revenue control systems really started to take hold. Man, one of my dreams is to create a, a and I'm dead serious when I say this, a, a, a parking museum, the history of parking, get some of the original meters, uh, get some stuff from the meters from Cool Hand Luke or stuff in the movies, uh, some of the first gate arms. And, and if my dream ever comes true with a partnership with IPMI or something, I think you're going to be our curator. You're going <laughs> to you're going to help us gather all the information. But actually, yeah. that, I get this question a lot. Just I used to ask my boss, what was it like to just manage parking programs or, or, or manage in the parking industry before the advent of, of, of cell phones and, and Wi-Fi and laptops? Is it pin, it's just pin and pad and you go out to the site and there's still the technology there, but there's more of the communication piece that was missing. Well, depending upon what part of the country you were in, um, the technological part could be simply nothing more than a ballpoint pen. And I say that in all honesty, that a lot of the original parking companies basically came about and grew almost as a family business. Because if you think about it, uh, you were in Chicago or San Francisco or New York or, or any other large city, and uh, you had a surface lot or you had a garage, and you were hoping that somebody would come in and they would park and you would show them the sign of what they were going to pay. And when they came out, they would stop with somebody in the lane and you would look at them and they'd say, when'd you come in? I came in about three hours ago. Okay, well, I think that's about $12. So they would give you $12 and you'd put it in, you know, literally in a cigar box. There's a lot of people that think that the term cigar box was just meant as a, uh, as a moniker. But the truth was, there were a lot of cigar box operations where people would have some sort of a chart and the chart was very simple. If someone was there for an hour, they paid $3. If somebody was there for two hours, they paid $4. And so what you wanted to do is you wanted to make sure that all the people that you hired to run the operation were in some degree worthwhile and trustworthy. And so that's why a lot of these original parking companies started out as family companies because they could trust Uncle Bill most of the time uh, <laughs> versus bringing on uh, you know different employees. So there was a significant amount of manual operation. There was a lot of leap of faith of understanding when people come in, figure out when they left. That's why, uh, you know, the advent of the, the ticket dispenser, you know, kind of coincided with the time clock. Because if you think about it, issuing a ticket for somebody to come in and then also tying a time clock to when your employees come in, that's when it started. And what's very interesting is a lot of the companies that originally started out in the time clock and time and attendance business also developed a line where they were managing parking and revenue control. Uh, Cincinnati Time, okay, started out as a time clock company and eventually morphed into a parking and revenue control company. That's why. So I was wondering, yeah, Cincinnati Time or Evans Time, you hear a lot of that. And exactly. It makes more sense. Exactly. You've seen it all through the years. You've seen your technology subject matter experts. So I know you're interested and knowledgeable in this. So what were some of the game changing things in the parking industry you've seen? You mentioned one of them, just the uh, the ticket spencer tying that to the clock, LPR. What you know, the, the mobile app. What, are, what, in your opinion, what are what are some of the things that kind of uh, well, certainly, the game? I, I think one of the major plateaus that first came out is when they started to um, what I'm going to call homogenize the parking equipment. 
they weren't run on PCs like we know them today. A lot of them were run on uh, dedicated logic controllers or, or programmable logic controllers, what they call PLCs. And basically what you did is you had a ticket dispenser that was connected to a gate. And the ticket dispenser on lane one was connected to ticket dispenser on lane two and eventually went back to a master clock because the original ticket dispensers that went in, they all had their, each one of them rather, had an independent clock. So you could have one lane that was saying that you come in at 10 o'clock in the morning and the next one, maybe somebody was playing with the clock or maybe the clock broke and maybe somebody coming in at the same time, but their ticket would say they come in at seven o'clock, you know, that morning. So eventually bringing all of those devices together so they were working off a common clock was, I think, one of the major plateaus in the industry. The second thing that came into play is when we started moving into what we call fee computers. Basically, what a fee computer was able to do is that if you entered in the time and date when somebody handed you their ticket, you would enter in the relevant information and the system would automatically calculate the fee. Up to that point in time, you had very simple charts. So it was up to the cashier to determine you know, the duration of time, indicate to the patron the amount of money that was due, calculate themselves what the change was supposed to be. So it was very manually driven. And because of that, there were a lot of mistakes. Um, there were also a lot of opportunities for shenanigans that were going on. So I would say the next big plateau is when they moved into, again, what the industry would call a fee computer, okay? which basically made a lot of the calculations and a lot of the time tracking more of an automated process. So that was, that was pretty significant. That really changed how people would staff garages, more importantly, how they would audit a garage. And sadly, I see a lot of parking operations and, and bid on a lot of parking operations in cities. And you'd be surprised by how many uh, cigar boxes or, or honor boxes, what are those honor, those coin slot machines are still out there. It's, it blows I, I my agree. mind. One thing I found, so again, visiting a lot of operations, running a lot of operations, I have found some of our best parking programs that we run, we outsource with my company. The, the ones that I feel have often been most successful are ones that have technology managers that are part of the parking team. I know you did a, a presentation on, on something similar, just understanding technology and the value of having technology-minded people. But can you talk a little bit about that presentation and just your overall view on having that technology piece with the parking industry? Oh, absolutely. We talked a few moments ago about different plateaus. I, I would say a more recent plateau that we've seen the last number of years is the, the inclusion and the dependence on technology that we have basically in all parts of our lives right now, but certainly within the parking industry. And one of the things that I think has challenged the industry has been the fact that you know you might have a shift supervisor or a head cashier, and they've been with you for you know ten or fifteen years, and they're very bright people. They're extraordinarily honest. They've been with you. They're wonderful people. They have customer service skills. But the bottom line is, they're not an IT specialist or they're not a software specialist. So one of the things that I think has challenged the industry is I think a lot of operations, whether they were private or actually uh, you know, operations where they had you know, outsourced oper operators themselves, is they would have an expectation that their people would simply read a manual and be able to be fluent in all of this new technology. Well, that, was, that proved to be false. And so what would happen is you would wind up having uh, situations in which the operation, let's just say it was, it was less than efficient and less than effective. 
not necessarily because the people were were foolish or ignorant and, and didn't understand the parking industry. They did not understand how to apply new technology that went along with some of the products that that perhaps their their bosses or procurement or the building owner or the university owner wanted to put in. So there was a pretty significant uh, disconnect there. And I agree with you, Isaiah. The um, the projects that I look at and audit, those that have made an investment in either uptraining their existing staff or more importantly bringing on additional targeted subject matter experts, they run well because basically we've gone from a parking operation where you have a handful of gates and, and maybe a PLC to basically having a very sophisticated computerized system that every once in a while opens up a parking gate. And that's been a challenge for some of the parking companies, particularly the older companies, to move towards because their structure was always having a, you know, a, a regional manager, an area manager, garage manager, a number of supervisors. And as long as they were trained into the, you know, the fundamentals of parking and the processes and procedures of their specific company, uh, they were expected to handle everything else that, that came about. Technology does not allow us to do that anymore. And again, I'm speaking from firsthand experience because I've managed operations without a technology manager and with the manager. Parking managers are already overwhelmed with operations, everything going on, and then they're at being asked to, hey, we need you to write this query to run this report. You know, this camera's offline. <laughs> we need you to create ID badge or we need an occupancy study. We, you know, this, this pay on foot machine's not working and, and we need you to go fix it. And it's very frustrating. You get mad. You know, they, this, this technology is supposed to make it more efficient, putting well, more work on me, but then we get... I've run an operation with a technology manager that has these strengths. And man, my, my, I was able to be way more efficient and the operation was ran way, way more effectively. Absolutely. I'll tell you a little funny story, a short story that kind of illustrates this at, at a very high macro level. Uh, a number of years ago, while uh, working for a European company, we had a rather large airport on the West Coast and uh, it was running very, very effectively. And the operating contract was up. They had a different firm come and bid for the operation. Uh, so the new company came over and took over on the first of the month, as they normally do. Everybody exchanged keys, did all of those type of things. So they were running the operation for about two or three days. And I got a panicky call from the manager of that parking operator that was overseeing that, that airport operation. He called me up and he said, Tom, uh, I, I need your help out here. Uh, we've got a problem. I said, oh, okay, what's going on? He goes, well, I've got more revenue than I can account for. So I jokingly said, well, that's one of the features of our system. We give you more revenue. Well, he didn't necessarily think it was that funny, but I told him I would fly out. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do, Tom, just so, so you know. <laughs> so I flew out and I'm sitting there and I said, okay, tell me what you found. And you know, he went through all their audit processes. They showed me the bank statements and they said, I don't know what the problem is because I got another 27 and change thousand in the bank. So I looked at him and I said, well, what about your credit card in, credit card out? He looked at me and he says, what? What's that? And exactly. And so this was, this was, not, a, uh, this was not a company, a fledgling company that only started you know, a couple of days before. This was an international company okay, that had managed uh, operations well over 25, 30 years. But that particular manager had never been trained nor introduced into another a growing form of technological capability with credit card in and credit card out. Therefore, it was unknown to him. He wasn't a bad guy. He just wasn't trained. And actually, after uh, you know, a couple of days worth of training, 
they were able to go ahead and, and manage it properly. But for a couple of days, he had no idea what was going on. Now, kudos to him because at least he raised his hand. But we both know of situations where often managers don't know something, but they're reluctant to admit that because nobody wants to say, hey, I'm a parking manager. I'm a parking professional. What the heck is going on here? I don't understand. Yeah, I, and I've seen the opposite of that where an exit pan lane um, wasn't set up with its gateway. So something's not right. He, they know something's not right. This goes on for days, weeks where that money's not getting to the bank and they, they can't explain it. So just exactly again, exactly. That, that's the takeaway to raise your hand because if, if I've been successful in my career, it's been because I've never been ashamed to raise my hand and ask for help. What, what, I guess let's pivot to, you know, the future. So what, what technologies are coming onto the scene now, or you think are coming soon that you're, you're most excited about? Well, I think one of the things that, um, that we've seen in the parking industry uh, in general is that we are under much more pressure to be considered more of a mainstream uh, commercial entity. What I mean by that is 10, 15 years ago, we would tell the public, if you want to come to our garage, you're either going to pay us cash or you're going to pay with a credit card. Now, with all the different methods of, of transacting business, and I'm talking specifically about payment transactions, different types of reservation transactions, there's an expectation by the public now that the same sort of mechanisms they use to go to the movie theater or to buy an airplane ticket or to go to Starbucks, they're going to be able to use for their parking experience as well. That puts a lot of strain on parking operations because, as you well know, the simpler you make it for your parking patrons, the more complex it is, you know, underneath the hood. So to try to get a number of different methods all working in unison so that your customers can say, you know what, I want to pay for an app. Okay, we can use that. I want to make a reservation. Okay, we can do that. By the way, I'm 85 years old. I want to pay for my parking with, you know, a bag of quarters that I brought from home. You still need to be able to do that. Breadth of capability that you have now, we're under a lot of pressure because of, of customer expectation and the way or, or the entire technology works now in, in commercialism. And one of the challenges that I think we have right now, specifically with the parking industry, is not only are we under a lot of pressure, and I'll be frank, there's a lot of technologies out there that are missing some of the fundamental components. And I'll talk specifically now uh, about some of the apps that are out there. Uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but a couple of months ago, I did an audit for a, uh, an operation that installed a payment app. And the payment app was very successful. Um, they had a pretty good penetration in the market. They were running anywhere between 12 and 20%, depending upon the day of people making payment. The challenge was, is the payment app was basically a standalone app. And uh, every month, this parking operator would get a check from this payment app company that said, uh, I'm making the number up. Here's $15,000 uh, for all the people that used your payment app uh, for the month of August. So I went and did an audit and I said, minus, well, minus all our fees, processing. Well, all, all of those certain things. But the most important thing, Isaiah, was I said, okay, how many transactions was that? What was the average cost of each transaction? Were you able to audit? You got a check for $15,000. Should it have been $14,200? Should it have been 16800 Well, you know what? I don't know. So there was an initial feeling of accomplishment because he was able to address a certain strata of his business that was expecting the parking app. But the fundamental component of being able to audit and track 
uh, was not there. I know that he's having conversations and I know other people are having conversations with, with different mechanisms that, that you can allow people to pay and enter your garage. And, and I think that's a great boon to the industry. But by the same token, what we can't do is we can't lose sight of the fundamentals. We may be excited about the fact that we've got you know, such a wide breadth of services and products that we offer. But at the end of the day, is our business still running financially, effectively? And you know, if I'm a garage manager or an operator manager, I, I still consider that, and maybe I'm old school, but I still consider that to be you know, one of my primary reasons for being in business. Get the money to the bank. But no, that's, that's why I love listening to you because I, I asked you earlier kind of what were the big technology game changers you've seen over your career. And while most people would talk about some camera sensor or, or whatever, you, you focused on two things. You said the ticket spencer time clock, fee computer. It's the, the fundamentals. I think we get so sidetracked and excited about a new technology that, like you said, may not have... A, the core uh, components, the fundamentals that, that are needed to properly manage your client or your, your parking operation. So very well said. That was one of my questions too about kind of what do you fear about the future? And I, I think you answered that perfectly. So are you uh, still a member of the IPI, IPMI technology committee? I am. I'm a member of the technology committee and the education committee. So what's going on with those committees? Actually, they're both very prolific. Uh, we are actually just finishing up now uh, one of our next series of training segments that'll be uh, working with the CAP program for the IPMI. Uh, so we're very pro- the committee is very proud of that. It's a it's a nice document and uh, a nice teaching segment that could be used for those people that are uh, you know just entering into the parking industry and those that are more or less what I'm going to call intermediates that are looking to take the next step and perhaps move into the CAP program. Regarding the technology committee. Isaiah, as you well know, just look at the name of the, you know, the IPI and now it's the IPMI. Uh, the fact that you know, parking is no longer a standalone. Uh, we're looking at parking as, as part of an overall echo group uh, mobility. And one of the things we're starting to look at now is some of the other components that affect us. You know, we're talking about managing curbs. We're talking about congestion management. There's a lot of push right now, talks a lot about you know, the electric vehicle and what's that going to do for the infrastructure, uh, the autonomous vehicle, what is that going to do for the infrastructure on the street? What is that going to do for our parking business? Are we going to be nothing more than warehouses that store these autonomous vehicles? And, and as soon as somebody makes a phone call or calls up on an app, the, the vehicle is going to drive itself to pick up. So th- there's a lot of thoughts now that are going to change uh, the footprint of what we do over the next couple of years. But as you just indicated, What's going to work in, in downtown Manhattan may not work in, you know, Moose Jaw, Wyoming, where they still have people that come in and, you know, put quarters in parking meters. So I think one of the challenges we have right now for both committees is make sure that we, we continue to address new and emerging technology, but we also have an obligation to make sure that we still retain some knowledge of the, the patron and the part of the businesses out there that is still working in, and I'm not going to use the word Flintstonian. I mean, it's not like they're working in the dark ages, but by the same token, they're still working in a, in a technological environment that's probably circa, you know, 1995. But you know what? It works. It's effective. Their customer service is sound. 
you know, when you're living in the, you know, the, the outskirts of, of someplace, perhaps in Wyoming or, or even Texas or Nevada, you know, there's a good chance you're not going to have 50 people showing up in your garage for electric vehicle chargers. But if I'm building a new garage in San Francisco, certainly that's going to be one of my uh, major concerns. So the breadth of what we have to do in those committees to address the entire strata of customers that we're dealing with, it makes those both committees very, very exciting to be on. You know, when I'm looking for vendors to work with, I, I love the word flexibility. It's not a one size fits all and different cities. What's the expression different? Something for different. I can't think of the expression right now on the top of my head. I've, I've worked on a lot of committees and, and some of them, you know, you join a call once a month and, and you meet the, the minimum expectations. And then there's some like the technology committee that, man, they, they, they produce. So it's, you talked about what they're doing with mobility and presentations and training. And that's a busy, busy committee. I had the honor and privilege of serving on that for, for several years and give a shout out there and what you're doing with the education committee. So what about uh, T2? So I've loved seeing the, the growth and evolution of T2 from, from citation and permits to whether they merge with digital. And now there's this whole smart, uh, smart ecosystem solution. So what, what do you do for T2 and what's going on at T2 these days? Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the parking is no longer this, this, um, this begotten stepchild right now. It really is an integral part of the whole aspect of mobility. You know, a lot of people call it first mile, last mile. How am I going to start my trip? How am I going to end my trip? You know, your initial impressions. And so one of the things that we're doing at T2 now is is really trying to get beyond just being a commodity provider. We're not, we're not providing gates. We're not providing, you know, parking meters. We're not providing a hand tool that will give uh, somebody a parking citation. We're really trying to, to stretch ourselves, and it's been very well received by our clients, and to begin to looking at your parking and transportation, really looking at it from a holistic perspective. You know, how can I manage access control? How can I manage my outreach, whether that outreach is in the form of an app or, or web-based information. You know, how can I manage my ability to be dynamic in its assignment? There's been a lot written lately about dynamic pricing, but I'd like to extend it beyond and, and talk about, you know, dynamic occupancy. Uh, Isaiah, you've been in the business for a while, and you know that one of the challenges we face is more often than not, you have enough parking. The problem is you don't have enough parking where people want to be. Yep. So the challenge is, is really trying to properly assign. So, you know, the more information you have coming in about, okay, on a particular Wednesday, you know what, I have another 25 spaces in this area that could be used. So you mentioned the word flexibility and, and from a technological perspective, I want to use the word agility so that I'm, I'm better equipped to be agile in my occupancy assignment than, and adjusting rates. And one of the things that I think sets T2 apart from, from some of our other competitors is that our platform allows you to do that. So we basically have a core platform, uh, which is Flex, that allows you to have all of these other, what I'm going to call edge capabilities, whether it's a gate, whether it's a meter, permit management, or audio analytics for occupancy. The idea is to be able to bring this together and be able to make a, an informed decision because not only do you know what's happening in this lot, I know what's happening across the campus. I know where my buses are. I know what the expectations of class schedules are. So it allows me, as I said, to be a little more agile. And, and I think, to be honest with you, not just T2, but I think that's where the industry is moving forward now. More of gathering information and be able to make more informed decisions. 
I like that word agility. You're right. That's the correct term. And the, the other phrase I was thinking of was different strokes for different folks. So there you go. There, you go. there it is. So Tom, I know you uh, eat, uh, sleep and dream parking, but when you're not parking, what are you into? What are you interested in? Well, I, two things. One, um, I'm very pleased and very happy. I have seven grandchildren and one on the way and they're all nearby. So we spend a lot of time with our grandkids. So that is, that's a lot of fun. It, it actually, there's a lot of days when the tough days are out there. We're all in business. We know what it's like, but when you come home and you get to see your kids and the grandkids, it kind of makes it all worthwhile. Uh, the other thing that I like to do is I work on old cars, uh, specifically MGs. I've, I've just finished up on, uh, some updating. I have a 78 MGB that I've been spending some time on. So that gives me a chance to go in the garage and kind of put the radio on and forget about life for a while and immerse myself in, in Greece. Wow. And I just looked up the, the car. That, that's a beautiful car. The technology here in your story, putting in the, the loops and you, you seem to be a hands-on and um, I could see that being a hobby. That's pretty cool. So uh, Tom, man, thank you so much. This is awesome. I've uh, admired and respected your your career all these years and enjoyed every webinar and presentation. There's been a lot of them that, that I've set through that, that you've done, cap training, all that. So thank you for uh, what you've done for this industry. And thank you so much for joining this podcast. Isaiah, thank you very much. You have a great day. All right, man. You too. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. It would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mao. Our music and score is by Zona. Our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at parkingcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, publishers of the industry's only soup-to-nuts textbook about all things parking. It's called A Guide to Parking, and several of our guests from previous episodes have contributed to this wonderful little textbook. Learn more and order your own copy at parking-mobility.org textbook.